0: You're listening to the Forest School podcast on mute, with Lewis Ames and Gemma Sutherland. You're on mute. <laughs>
1: you're
2: on, mute. Oh, you're
1: that on is, mute. That is the
2: T-shirt
1: of 2020. It is. You're on mute. But I did. They... I saw some uh, someone on Reddit saying that they had gone back to their first day in a full classroom and they, the only thing they missed was the mute all button. <laughs>
2: That's the third time someone has told me about noise levels very specifically amongst all of the other, like, going back to school chat, both children and teachers that I've spoken to recently, and, like, within 30 seconds of that kind of chat starting, it's been like, yeah, the noise levels, yeah, just noisy,
1: Mm. interesting. Do you think it's in a customization? Do you think people, like, teachers are sort of Mm. used to it at a certain point, and then... I don't know. I don't know. I mean, unless you've not got kids in your house, like... uh, Oh, but having
2: kids in your house is very different to having 30 of them in a classroom or a playground, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All I mean is
1: I've not suddenly had a quiet 12
2: months. Well, no, you haven't, but that's, that's your situation. But, um also for like those teachers who have carried on working, which is most people and mm. been in OTAs, they've been in a, cl- in a school with like eight kids instead of 30 and had like a entirely different like sensory experience for themselves and the kids and then suddenly it's the same space with mm. however many extra children have suddenly gone like, ah!
1: I was reading a story of someone doing their NQT and um, they, oh no it was PGCE and they're doing placement and they had to They were in the classroom. So all the teachers are teaching virtually, but the teachers are in the classroom. Yeah. Um, So there's no kids in this school, but they said they were sat sort of, uh, what's the word? You know, like sort of not teaching, but like observing the lesson. (laughs) But they were just observing the teacher in front of their laptop and they couldn't sit behind the teacher in case it was distracting to see the other students. So they just had to sort of observe this teacher talking into the laptop for an hour and that wow. was their like lesson observation
2: oh, i didn't think um, of that
1: they were like i didn't know what they said i didn't know when to interrupt them or to talk if i was supposed to talk to them during the breaks because they've had a stressful time and they didn't want to talk to, you know mm. All these little uh, niche scenarios that you don't really think about
2: yeah 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 challenging right. challenging circumstances isn't it
1: Oh, yes, mate. Well, challenging circumstances, we're going to try something different today, aren't we?
2: Yeah, and your challenging circumstance is that you have to talk to me, and I am really fidgety, and I did do some star jumps just now, um, but we've been doing lots of admin this morning, haven't we?
1: Um, We've been doing admin for our forest school leaders, so people who are thinking about being forest school leaders come to the training because we spend absolutely ages thinking and talking about how we can do it better and what we're doing and it's very draining but, bespoke. Um, bespoke oh yeah is the word yeah, yeah yeah
2: tailored um but does mean that after however long because you, you know it's something you get out of practice doing isn't it sitting mm. down on your behind talking to another person and looking at uh, a screen and you know assessment specifications and all that kind of thing and then you do it and you're like oh this is a bit different to being in the woods isn't it i might need to go and run around now and uh you did use the words okay so that means you're going to be absolutely useless for admin within about five minutes because i started drumming and being disruptive
1: oh Um, yeah i I really no i genuinely think people (laughs) listening to this probably have the idea that like i am the sort of child and that you are slightly i think you are slightly more for, for the most part on a level, uh, you have a few horror stories from your childhood. But like d- it was just a very clear realization while we're doing this admin and I was trying to fill out a spreadsheet and I was being a real grown-up and then I looked over and on the corner of Zoom was someone banging their pen on the side and going, but los, what do you think of this? Do <laughs> do 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 I was just going, yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank Can you. you imagine
2: working with me like in an indoor environment? on any kind of like yeah training course any of that stuff but you know i don't know yeah
1: yeah my, to so my challenge
2: your tans- my your challenge to talk to me
1: So to talk to you and we've so uh i'm going to talk about the book braiding sweet grass and uh up to now we've tried to do sort of book reviews where both you and i have spoken to us uh, just what an absolute Right, she's holding doodles up of like. Okay, I'm not even going to go. I'm not going to engage with it, guys. I'm not going to engage with it. She's got such a cheeky grin.
2: You can mute me, but you can't mute my video screen. Or maybe you can.
1: I probably can. Uh, that would be
2: better, wouldn't it? We are. Okay. We can teach. Her. No, sorry, I am listening. I'm being very respectful. Listening. I am. Um, you're. Yeah. So not on the podcast. Sometimes we read the same book, don't we? And then we chat about it. But the, this
0: one, I haven't read
2: it. Lewis yes. has read it and Uh, he's going to talk to me and I'm going to ask intelligent questions about it.
0: Applications for forest school training are now open at childrenoftheforest.com Check out the podcast links for more details.
1: So we're going to try out, see what it's like, because I imagine lots of people have listened to the other book reviews and gone, "Oh, I really want to ask them this," or oh. and it's hard for us to think of those questions when we've both read the book because we both know what's in it. So hopefully, yes. Gemma can slightly take the place of you guys listening and can fire things at me, and I can go, "Oh, I didn't really know." Um,
2: yeah. So, and I know, book... I know one, I know one fact. Yes, it's written by Robin Wall Kimmerer. I think in 2016 or even
1: 2006 I can't
2: quite remember 2015
1: is the publishing date that I have um but it may even be older than that um so it's braiding sweetgrass indigenous wisdom scientific knowledge and teaching of plants um so the big overarching metaphor is um this braiding of three strands um and of science Indigenous wisdom, natural knowledge, and kind of going through this author's experiences and going, this this area only wants to talk about the scientific or this area only wants to talk about the um, Indigenous knowledge and, and her kind of using it as a metaphor to go, actually, there's a lot to be learned from each other. And just like a braid, they are stronger when they all go together. Um, so I think... <laughs> The thing that I would, I got straight away, if anybody's thinking of listening to it, um, so I listen to it on Audible and it is read by the author and it is a slow read. It is a slow, a very like, um, I don't want to say respectful, but the tone of it is very, like the pace is very slow and like take your time over some stories and take your time over some ideas and really kind of chew them over. Um, which is really bad is the book really benefits from it the the ideas in it couldn't be done quickly i think it mirrors that idea that we've said in forest school quite a lot where you can't shortcut those experiences you can't shortcut you know how do you foster nature connection let's just do it in one one afternoon and then all these teachers will be connected to nature or let's do you know it's almost like those experiences take a long time and so do the stories that go along with them i get Um, it
2: can i interrupt can i say something that helps me put what you're saying into context like who is she is she like an education person or a kind of communicator like what is her role
1: so that is a good that is a a good question so i'm just remembering now from the book this might not be completely accurate but she is uh an a woman with indigenous heritage Mm -hmm. um her it's either her grandfather or her great grandfather was in the schools where they took indian children away from their families and you know she's been in the book she goes to schools where her grandfather's name is on the wall of like children who were Mm. re-educated here in air quotes um she has followed a botany and um it's like scientific route so do PhD studies and things like that. Um, And lots of it is talking about her experience of bringing lots of indigenous and like nature connection knowledge to academic institutions and going, you know, can we study this thing? There's lots of stories about this, or, you know, we know that it grows in these kind of ways. And the academic society kind of going, no, 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 we don't have any place for this. And it's her kind of forging her own path. And again, I'm doing this with my hands. I'm doing that plat thing of going, well, I can bring in a bit of the Indigenous stuff and they're not completely separate. Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of who she is. And she then takes on students. Um, and it's quite interesting. She takes on students across the... Um, the university that she's working at so there's a really good story where she takes on some medical students and they have to do i think it's either a botany or a natural you know there's a module that's to do with kind of plants and it would be going out and finding where these things grow or whatever and she pushes to not just do it in a classroom she pushes to like take them on a wilderness retreat yeah and these doctors these sort of uh doctors in training have this kind of self-sufficiency thing and they they learn about the honorable harvest about giving back and about um you know the kind of cyclical nature and interconnectedness of everything where specifically doctors they kind of they enter into this experience very kind of yeah yeah it's a thing we have to tick off it's a thing we have to you know it's another unit we've got Mm -hmm. another module um so It's sort of her teaching those students. um, And it's almost like you're a fly on the wall listening in Mm. on those stories and watching them. And you are also one of her students.
2: Right. That's a really fascinating idea, especially where doctors are concerned. Kind of, we've talked about that on the podcast before with various people, haven't we, in terms of like natural medicine and like um, a lot of the time when we're out of touch with nature, we completely forget that actually all of the remedies that we use, that we buy from the chemist, there were. They they are from nature originally Mm. and that it wasn't actually that long ago that we were just finding them in the wild rather than going to the chemist and now that seems so alien to us. So that's a really interesting idea to actually take doctors Mm. into the wild when, uh, as far as I know anyway, in the UK... That is not the case, and that your kind of medical stuff is all very much based on obviously the human body, but pharmaceutical kind of side and academic side, and as for kind of getting them to engage with where various remedies and things come from, and then that kind of ties in with all the research being done at the moment about nature connection for um, not just like well-being, as in it makes you a bit happier, but well-being mm. as in this really, really drastically improves your chances of survival. Um, you know from loads of conditions having views of trees out of your window in hospital and all that kind of stuff so it's almost like that stuff is growing uh, that awareness and that um research is growing isn't it as a as a thing
1: yeah Uh, so there's some good bits that um oh i'm gonna forget the name of the plants but they're collecting something from a um a swamp
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh you know, to to identify these species or to I think they might be basket weaving with them or something. Um but their hands get all chapped and you know, cracked and yeah. from whatever else. And um the plant that they're collecting, if you snap it, it releases like an aloe vera balm mm. that is like perfect skin or sun. It's like, oh, it's like perfect sunburn um gel, and it's kind of lots of the book is based around this kind of idea of i i've i've written down that it's it's lots of mental frameworks so there are bits of the book that i think are great there are bits of the book that i don't necessarily agree with but i think what it is is a way of viewing an almost anthropomorphizing you know the shintoism yeah. thing of uh and um what was the name the the uh KonMari yeah and that kind of popularized recently that Shinto thing of your socks will be happy if they Mm. are in this folded way your your table will be happy without you know food stains on it or whatever Mm. um and this idea that like whether you believe that or not it's a useful framework yeah and so there's a lot of frameworks in here about the honorable harvest and how you relate to the plants and the trees mm. um, and that kind of framework of. So we started doing it in our session. We did the first one on Tuesday, didn't we? Um, where we just said thank you to a tree that had held up the hammocks by putting a load more um, wood chip on its roots that had been uncovered. Um, yeah. And that kind of way of like, whether you believe it or not, that is good for you. That is good for the environment that you're thinking about. And it changes your relationship with the space, the way you view it, not just as a commodity, but as a reciprocal thing that you... Definitely. Should or have to give back?
2: Yeah, I have seen um, some criticism of that approach recently, which kind of like surprised me because it's one of those things that at the moment, as you say, is quite in vogue, isn't it? And most mm. people are like, "Oh, yeah, this is great." Um, but I, it was just people talking about um, talking about trees and some and lots of people recommending the Hidden Life of Trees by Peter Wohlleben, mm-hmm. and then there was just one person going, "Hmm, I think there are better books that are more." true and more factual and less anthropomorphizing Mm. and this person was kind of saying that actually it's quite disrespectful to the to the tree to give it that to anthropomorphize it and make it really like human centered like these things only really have value if they have feelings that we can equate with our own do you know what i mean and it's like actually Mm. this is yet another example of like um this age that we're living in so there are kind of Criticisms to that. But it's like like you say, it's kind of like a shortcut, isn't it? It's a kind of, yeah, maybe it would be more kind of just to not do that and to mm. kind of go, yeah, this I cannot ever comprehend the feelings of a tree. Why pretend to do that? And why yeah. imagine that it's got any, you know, any feeling that is approximate to a human experience? But if it results in if it's a shortcut that results in a beneficial outcome. Mm. Then, really, is there any harm in it? That's an interesting yeah. moral question, isn't it?
0: <laughs> Find out about CPD courses at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details
1: yeah i've just finished uh, me and my wife have just finished binging uh the good place the tv show Uh and that is about like heaven and hell and what do you do to get into the anyway Uh, but they have a thing where they say like what we need to do is they're trying to get everybody to be good and they say we need to change their actions first they change the behavior and we change the intention afterwards which is really like as i was watching it, i was like i don't know if i
0: Think yeah. that's a good
1: idea, or and their their thing is like if you can make it a habit, then mm. then it starts to anyway. Um, so there's which is I think a good point then to talk about a bit that I disagree with. So this book is heavily North American centred because mm-hmm. it is Native American. The wisdom is Native American. Um, wisdom yeah um so there's lots of stuff about maple trees that was kind of like and the sap and all the ritual around um you know the syrup and the boiling and the wood and the you know which kind of was a bit lost on me mm-hmm. having lived in the southwest of england it's just not a thing i can relate to and then there was a bit about um the honorable hunt which people who might be new to the podcast wouldn't know um so i'm vegan and that kind of obviously sat in my head where I was like, okay, let's just go through all of this. Let's think about how does that work? Um, and the example was, uh, a very prophetic story of somebody who goes out and he only goes out with, he goes out with rifle, but he only goes out with one bullet. And so he goes out and the deer that, um, is a bit skittish and runs away. He's, he doesn't even try and take a shot and the deer that, um, sort of, uh, you know, is standing in front of her young, doesn't take a shot. And then he's like, and I was, you know, ready to go home, walking home. A deer walks out into the complete clearing. Um, it stares me down for about 30 seconds while I take off the rifle, mm. while I line it up, and while I pull the trigger. Mm. Um, and was saying like that in, in this book, that's the honorable hunt because that deer kind of gave itself knowingly, and
2: yeah. See, that um, I guess is the danger of the anthropomorphizing yes. thing, isn't it? It's like projecting your feelings onto another species to kind of excuse yourself and excuse your actions, or well, or to
1: give meaning to them, isn't it? I mean, yeah. that's what so much of the human experience is: is giving meaning to coincidences or interactions. In the same way that they were, ta- so in the same way they were saying, if you go to take a blackberry and it looks like the biggest. Best blackberry, but as you try and pull it, it doesn't immediately come off the branch. um, Then that is the plant saying, "I'm not ready." Mm. Or they go, you know, they talk about going to fell a tree because they're going to make a canoe, and they sort of ask the tree. And if the wind picks up, or if like a branch falls, then they take that as a sign of, um, "Oh, okay, we we shouldn't take this tree. We should go and take another one." So. That's what I kind of mean when I'm saying it's it's all frameworks. It's all mm. how do you interpret the stuff around you? Mm. And some of that is going to come not at the expense of, but kind of if you really need to hunt deer, you're going to find reasons yeah. to hunt deer. If you really need to fell a tree, I, I would be interested to know if people interpret the signals the same way. You know, If you ask to cut a tree and the wind picks up, would there be some people that go ah that's the wind starting its own leaning process and some people will go that's the wind saying no do you, do you know where i'm going with that
2: yeah i completely do and again i've read quite a lot of that recently i've been reading some books which do advocate for like ask the tree before you cut the branch or whatever um and when i read it i'm like oh shit the other day i didn't do that I should really do that more. Mm. I haven't it's not like completely embedded in my practice that I do it. But again, like why like why are you doing it? Can you actually I mean can you actually ask the tree if it is a shortcut to I am going to be more mindful of the way I harvest things mm. and mm. I am going to be more observant of the thing I am harvesting and therefore I may notice if that tree already looks a bit diseased, a bit Um, a bit weather beaten, a bit like it's not going to be able to handle my attack on it and therefore I won't harvest that tree. It's actually got bugger all to do with asking the tree and listening to vibrations or signs in nature but the result, you know actually it's about you, the human being more observant and more thoughtful and mindful instead of just going, oh resources, just get all the resources I need it, so I just get it, yeah? Yeah. Um, So Yes, and people would, I, you know, there'd be millions. Of, I guess just among the forest school community, there would be a big divide amongst people who agree or disagree with that. In terms of like, I'm sure there'd be loads of people who go, "Yep, I absolutely can feel the tree giving me permission or not giving me permission," and people who go, "No, it's just you know," or people who go, "Yeah, I do it, but actually, honestly, can I can mm. I actually read any response from nature?" Interesting one. Hmm.
1: And and this then it is kind of interesting because that's i think it's an interesting that's one of the braids so then bringing in the scientific thing and the uh it is it's those things all sort of tying together and yeah. um, so uh, but one of the things it did make me think about is a conversation you and i had a little while ago where we were talking about um a pathological demand avoidance mm-hmm. um as a uh, condition isn't the right word as a thing mm-hmm. and um, we we're talking about how quite often it's seen as a one of the like uh, struggles can be that people with PDA don't see authority anywhere you know they would see the teacher as the same as themselves as the same as the other children as the you know they, they just see all those things on a level playing field um, and then I think you were saying that one of the other the sort of not flip side but like the extensions of that is that they also see a squirrel as in as as important as their teacher or they would see the willow tree as as important as their best friend is that fair or if i misinterpreted a um, conversation i
2: think it would i think it would completely depend on the person i think we were discussing a certain person at that time and saying how i think i was relating a story of my own personal experience of a pda -er and i was um kind of i had observed that yeah he had that alongside a kind of um uh yeah level level playing field of human um
1: hierarchy hierarchy
2: Along with that seemed to go with a more a more more than average, more than your average person, um level playing field of hierarchy of human v nature for hmm. this one person. Whether or not that is a you know, as a result of PDA or not, uh, okay. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? So I wouldn't make that sweeping statement for every PDA. But those two trends, I kind of noticed those at the same time with him, mm. and that th- I just saw. That, you know, because ob- obviously, a lot of the time, people kind of focus on PDA and how it may um, sort of present people with challenges or be viewed as a disability. Whereas I just saw that as an amazing strength and something that was mm. quite different to a person without PDA, and how that is a kind of yeah just a real strength and something to really tap into kind of a special interest that is that goes beyond a special interest because actually you've got a completely different mindset you've got the mindset that probably most forest school leaders would want all of the people that they work with to have and to Mm. be like well everyone everyone in this learning community is of an equal standing not just leader children but also the beings in this place Mm. and it went for him it went beyond animals it was trees plants whatever so that consideration of feelings and needs went beyond the human just Mm. instinctively without having to think about it without it being like a second thought
1: yeah yeah and i guess that's kind of uh, what i was saying in terms of it being a framework of like if everybody had that framework whether they were born and instinctively had it or whether the the process of teaching and learning from people around you gave you that framework to see the world yeah that to me is quite interesting just as a like what would that do to all the interactions how would you know if you if you really got down to a level playing field what how would all your interactions change how would businesses operate how would Mm. you know that's something that i think is really interesting
2: completely and don't you think like since beginning your forest school journey our forest school journeys that it's like a trajectory isn't it where wherever you started from the longer you work in forest school Mm -hmm. the further down that road you go so that you're more aware of the effects of your actions to the point where you become more and more other to the rest of society so that you do really question some people's choices and you're like yes I understand that would make money but 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 just don't do it though because the impact on the environment from doing that is too catastrophic so but
1: then i mean that's the that's it that's the difference though isn't it because when you say to somebody who has a low nature connection the impact of that in in their mind the impact is different to in your mind of course so the impact yeah yeah so the impact to them is like okay well that field would flood or okay you know it's a bit like (laughs) uh it could probably take it too far and be that but you know in star wars when um cause I'm real cool. Uh, when uh, Anakin goes a bit mental and he goes to the temple and just kills all the other Jedi and he kills all the like children in the temple and goes completely horrendous. Um, and mm. you know, light years away, Yoda is there and his heart hurts. Mm-hmm. And he's like, something's happened. There's been a, you know, there's been this mass thing. Like, I feel like that's sort of what forest school leaders would get if you saw a load of felled trees mm. someone might look at it and be like that's a shame they've been growing a long time and a forest school leader would later be looking at it going or someone with high nature connection would be like mm. oh, the, the mycelium the the all the billions of wood yeah, lice, I know. The, the, you know yeah
2: i've had that today um i spent a walk with the dog this morning and um there's a place down the road which is just like an old tumble down house and someone's recently bought it and there's a footpath going right next to it which is obviously annoyed them and um and you look at it first of all, and you're like, "Oh, they've done a great landscaping job of like fencing off their land and putting the footpath around the edge and making the, the footpath no. really level and it's not muddy anymore because they've used loads of chippings." Um, but then I was walking along, and I was like, "But, but where, What have they done to the elder trees? Where are the flip? What the flip? Where are the flipping elder trees? And they're just like massacred and all just chucked down the hill." And I just, you know, and I haven't got anyone to talk to about that apart from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how upsetting that is. And it's like, well, you know, I'm sure they were overgrowing the footpaths. I'm sure it was a bit inconvenient. But the flipping elder trees, man, they were old. <laughs> like, old. Ugh. Anyway. Um,
1: there you go Uh, that's i mean that's it isn't it can i can
2: i this is a complete tangent but can i talk to you about we don't allow
1: tangents i'm afraid this is a very serious podcast okay
2: here's a dilemma for you would you engage (laughs) in this or not so on on facebook local person local farmer has put a thing with a photo, photo of some litter left in their field and gone i saw some people picnicking in my field i didn't say anything it's on a footpath um, we get a bit bad reputation for spoiling people's fun. However, they've left all this litter and now I have to clear it up. Mm. This packets, drink bottles, et cetera. And everyone's like flooding in going, this is terrible, this is so awful. You shouldn't have to do that. That's terrible, it's terrible, poor you. And I felt the same. I didn't comment, but I was just like, oh yeah, that is really pants. And it is an increasing trend that people are like getting okay. out into nature since lockdown, but trashing it, fine. But then today I was walking in that same place and there is loads of junk around left by farmers. Which has been there for years and it's always there, like the kind of like bin bag type wrappings of silage bales, you know, like oh, black yeah, bin bag yeah. kind of stuff. And it's just like in matted into the soil and the hedges because it's been there for such a long time. Like big kind of um, containers that have had like sheep feed in there or sheep mm. dip stuff, just chucked, just left there, by definitely by the farmers. Like it is, mm. you know, sheep food for special problem. Blah, blah, blah. And it's in the same place and nobody flipping comments on that nobody mm-hmm. and so it just struck me i was like hang on a minute this is a real like dichotomy here you know you actually own this land and you're trashing yeah. it but it's got footpaths on it so i was like oh do you know in one way i would love to kind of take photographs of it and add it to this thread and go i've also noticed all of this litter around which has been there for a long time um and i was like oh i guess the only way i could do it is would be to go, I'm happy to volunteer my time to clear this up, if anyone else wants to help. (laughs) I was just like, just don't, just don't. But I suppose
1: it depends, doesn't it? That's the difference (sighs) between, is it an issue because it's uh, damaging to wildlife or is it an issue because the farmer perceives it as extra time, you know, it's an extra job. Mm. Like the crisp packet on the footpath is an extra job because they can't do whatever. The stuff that they've intentionally left in a hedge isn't creating any more work for them it's a very self-interested way of looking at uh Mm. litter um
2: anyway anyway
1: sorry so yeah so there's some really good um metaphors in this book that i kind of wanted to share so there's a a massive paragraph about lichen and the relationships that lichen have Um, and in in a way that i feel like this book all the different chapters you know the chapter on hunting the chapter on maples the chapter on lichen you could go off and find a specific book and in fact i do want to there's a apparently an equivalent of the secret life of trees which is oh it's up on my screen gathering moss and it's Mm. all about and i really want to just go on on that little tangent but um so talking about lichen in this book and about in that way of like a very prophetic teacher kind of talking about lichen and very heavily leaning in and being like you know like people so it's kind of you know (laughs) lichens can't survive without each other and some of them provide the framework and some of them provide the food and um they colonize places that people you know otherwise animals and flora and fauna couldn't colonize because uh and they're saying interestingly some like so it's um lichen is a fungi and a algae Algae. Uh, thank you. And it was saying that some lichen, the combinations will only exist together. So lichen A is always made up of yeah. um, fungi A and algae B. But that some of the algae will like pair when it wants to, but can also go off on its own and will pair with another fungi if it right. wants to. That know. can be a bit promiscuous. Yeah. Um, and some of them will uh, only only form lichen when there's a scarcity of food or resources so they will yeah. live completely separate lives until there's a scarcity and then they form lichen yeah and so this because they is. need
2: the benefits of the other because one makes the one uses uh, photosynthesis. photosynthesis yes to make food for the other and the other creates the structure hmm. so which is which the algae uses the photosynthesis algae is photosynthesis. And the fungi creates yeah. the structure yeah. yeah so i guess if the structure is missing in that environment then that's when they would do that is that right
1: Mm. it's just it's just a very interesting kind of book and then it's talking about there's a big bit about um animals being teachers um and stuff about you know the big kind of lean on it is uh you know the beaver has been around as an animal for far longer than humans have been evolved Mm. so the idea that you could that you would be near a beaver and go, I have nothing to learn from this animal. Like as a species, we still have stuff to learn from these mm. trees, from these animals in terms of going, it's a bit like, do we need to keep reinventing the wheel? Mm. If there's something that can survive and is functional, then why are we not, you know, we should be looking at those things all the time to go, oh, it's symbiotic relationships. Oh, it's, you know, yeah, um, which I thought was really Interesting, And then obviously it talks about trees being carers for humans. And I think I've talked to you before about this, like this, this idea that like trees are essentially farming humans. Oh
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Because
1: they give us the air. They provide houses for us. When we die, they turn, we turn into food for more trees. Um, yeah. And, and, but I, there's something about recently, and it was kind of highlighted when I was reading this book that my, my mental frame for time has moved the longer I spent around trees. Mm-hmm. So I think inherently I'm quite a, I have I'm like a proactive person and I want to like do things, go with it. I'll just do, I'll just do it. I'll just get on with it. I'll just I'm do. I'm not sure I agree with that Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> to, my, to my detriment and oh. to the detriment of every relationship I've ever had. <laughs> I just want to do everything straight away. <laughs> I just have an idea. Sense. Yeah there's no <laughs> but um i think being around trees has helped because uh and someone was uh put in a forest school group on facebook the other day that you know they'd had they, they started with uh had to clear cut some wood or had to have a load of felling because of it might have been ash dieback it might have been something yeah. else um and it turned out that it was like four trees in a th- six acre woodland or something I was like okay mm-hmm. it's not that much but I, my immediate thought was like being felled to a particularly to a coppice tree but it's just so nothingy to the to the lifespan of a tree <laughs> you know it's just so like oh right yeah I was cut down for for 10 years yeah. in that in that 300 year span it's the equivalent of us being like yeah there was a stone in my shoe for a bit um yeah
2: yeah
1: and so that just kind of that's the framework that kind of alleviates my maybe it makes me feel a bit less like i've got to have that guilt thing of like i'm not going to chain myself to a motorway i know those things are important mm. um and you know there's a lot of things that once they're lost we're not going to get them back for a thousand years but that's only important if you think in human time frames if well, you...
2: yeah, weirdly enough, I was listening to In Our Time last night when I couldn't sleep and they were talking about uh, the Devonian Age mass extinction.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, my God. It's just mind boggling in the same way. It's like, yeah, there have been four mass extinctions. This one this many billion years ago, this one the other zillion years ago. And and that just made me go in a similar kind of way. Just go, oh, well, you know. Yeah, extinction rebellion. We are like, everything's going extinct, but it's happened before, and I'm sure that's what like climate change deniers oh, yeah. say, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does give you that sense of like, you know, you think that your time on Earth is the most important time and the only time, mm. and must be the way that it should be. Um, and actually, planet Earth is like, well, what else?
1: There's a there's a one of those logical fallacies that goes around, which is called the like uh, the high point of history, which is if you look at uh writings from any period of time they all think they are at the height of technology and civilization even like the babylonians they're like no one is going to surpass this this is like the height of what we're doing like the you know the romans and the everybody just writes it of like don't know if you know but we're wiping our ass with sponges like (laughs) no one's (laughs) topping this shit Um, literally um (laughs) so it's that kind of thing of like Again, it's just a framework. It's the way, and sometimes frameworks are useful to have all the time and sometimes they're useful to go, okay, what if I see it through this lens? What if I take this on? Um, The last thing that I want to say was that this book has got so much ceremony in it, so Mm -hmm. much kind of talk about ceremony and the importance of it and how beneficial it is for community. A lot of it uh, echoing the stuff we talked about with... Jenny Archer about it Mm and so just this idea that uh, it made me quite interested because again it's quite uh North American and let's say Native uh, American centered and um so some of those I was like oh you know those can relate and some of them I was going well that's really that sounds really important like it's really like a really beneficial thing to do but can you just lift that up and go, that sounds really good as a framework. I'm going to put that ceremony here in the middle of Devon.
2: Yeah. Hmm. I know. And we've said that about Forest School in general before in terms of like, can you just lift up something from Scandinavia and go, yeah, we're just going to mm. do, do that, basically. Do it the same mm. as they've done without the cultural history and awareness and, you know, general lifestyle of the people. Yeah, I know. And cultural appropriation as well. Mm. you know do you have the right to go oh i read about it in a book written by a lady who did have first people heritage and then just go yeah we're gonna do that because it sounds nice in devon um Mm. yeah
1: well i suppose uh, with lots of these things it's kind of uh again it it comes back to with a lot of this book is it about the behavior or is it about the intention you know is it more important you know is it more important that Uh, you get lots of children to uh have a ceremony where they cover all the roots of the trees that have been eroded over the last year because that has benefit to the woodland or is it more important that you have like a solid gold intention even if no wood chip gets laid that there's an intentional Mm. change
2: or looking at it more from a kind of child led or playwork perspective do you know mm. it's not my place to impose any of those thoughts and ideas on the learners if they express a wish to do that then that's up to them and it's not my place to kind of impose you know any kind of ceremony of gratitude upon them which we did the other day didn't we but the way that you phrased it was i'm going to do this mm. i've made a list of the things that i've been given today i've i've made a list of the things that have you know Made me feel grateful. So I'm going to do this if anyone wants to join in. Mm.
1: And
2: therefore, that wasn't lifted from somewhere else and imposed upon anyone. That was just you saying a thing out loud and some people engaged with it and got a lot out of it. So, yeah. But do you think you would have, because we have talked about that before, yeah, you know, for years, haven't we? We've been talking about reflection mm. in our sessions and what the best way to facilitate that is and that line of like if you know something is going to be beneficial for a group but it feels a little bit like trying to not steamroller but like push to get it to up the hill. yeah yeah just slightly um where is the balance there do you think that this book reading this book made you push that stone up the hill a bit more than you normally would
1: um do I think it made me push it? I think it's a book that changes the viewpoint and the understanding of the reader. But, and, and this kind of goes back to why I was saying at the start of it being a very slow book, I don't think that I could lift anything out of the book and, and go, right, I'm going to do that with my group or I'm going to tell my group that story or I'm mm-hmm. going to teach them that thing. Um, because it's stuff that needs to happen over a long time and so if you want to because this book is uh well let me just have a so it's something like six i kind of try and find how long it is it's something like 16 hours long Mm -hmm. right this book which is for an audiobook massive Mm -hmm. i think like one of the lord of the rings books is only 20 something hours Mm -hmm. um and so 16 hours it's basically 16 hours of semi-mindfulness mm. um and you know so i don't know i'm sort of waffling around your question um
2: I, I, from my observation as you were reading it because I'll yeah. say it, it's something that whole like gratitude and reflection thing is something we talk about probably on a fortnightly to monthly basis anyway mm. and it feels like since you started reading the book you have become you've brought it up more often you've talked, okay you've said i really want to you know focus on this gratitude thing more I really want to find a way to make this work and then I think the way that it happened last week anyway you know Mm. this week I mean next week is another whole universe isn't it um yeah this week it really worked but yeah and so I wonder whether it's helped the book has somehow helped you focus on it as a thing that you think is important and get to an answer about how like one idea about how it could be facilitated so because i remember when you when you read it you told me about the the ceremony and what's it, is it called like a thanksgiving ceremony but not oh, yeah,
1: the thanksgiving address
2: thanksgiving, yeah so not as in thanksgiving American, I,
1: i'll explain what that is you, for people yeah, that have, so the thanksgiving address is in the i'm gonna butcher this pronunciation, pronunciation potawatomi potawatomi um Nation, which is one of the independent nations inside of the united states um it's a indigenous um nation and where american schools have the uh the pledge of allegiance these schools have the thanksgiving address which is one of those things that uh has apparently a very long history and it is uh naming all the things that we are you know that basically that we're thankful for that exists so it's thanking the medicine plants for healing us it's thanking the um the trees for giving us shelter and shade it's thanking the uh it's thanking the fish for giving us food and their bodies uh and each sort of paragraph ends with uh and now our minds are one mm-hmm so it's this idea of kind of reconnecting and going okay we're not complete again that that level playing field we're not completely separate we're linking these things together um obviously there were bits of it that i was like oh i don't sure that i agree with this whole giving us your body thing um but they were saying that it's like age and stage appropriate so kindergartners might only do two or three paragraphs or or word it differently and i was like oh i really like that maybe that's what we should do yeah um
2: you can find it uh, by the way if you google it thanksgiving mm. address then you can have, have a look it's, it's it makes nice reading mm. and i think yeah i remember you saying like maybe we should maybe we should do it or write it somewhere or whatever but yeah can you i don't know don't it's know, a lot. And, that,
1: and and that's something that we've talked about with with um stuff like this that is slow and Purposeful and um, very intentional, you know. Very, uh, yeah, I'm going to use the word intentional. Um, and it always is a, an interesting challenge to me to take something like this that is slow, meditative, um, yeah, and to go, how could I do this with a group of children who are mixed-aged, who have neurodiversity, you know. the wazoo you know that sitting down and doing a thanksgiving address is not appropriate for most of them no matter how you slice it or um you know giving a speech about how we need to be good to the trees or you know just that stuff doesn't translate
2: yeah and i think probably like there will be some forest school practitioners who will feel like they want to do stuff like that and it is part of their practice Mm. but personally I think that doing things like that is is like an it's too much of an imposition.
1: Imposition is a good word.
2: It's
0: like
2: I think this is important, so I'm going to make you all do it or make you all listen to me or whatever. If you go back to look after yourself, look after the people, look after the forest. Like, yeah, I guess you could argue that it comes under look after the forest, but it's not a necessary. You know, you don't need to do it for More. safety reasons or you know any of those kind of things so i think it's fine to go i'm going to do this if you want to stick around and listen or be part of it then that's completely fine and i think that's really interesting in the same way as like um being open about other things that we do as adults that we see as having value
0: hmm. just
2: adds to a child or young person's kind of experience of the world and the richness of the world. Oh, I know one person who goes to church every Sunday and I know this other person who thinks that this is a really important ceremony to conduct or whatever, but kind of like forcing a group to take part in it, I kind of feel like from my practice perspective is
1: Do you think far. we, do you think we strive for <laughs> the a maximum impact in terms of nature connection or community building with the lowest possible intrusion
2: yeah yeah i think so
1: intrusion is the word isn't it because and and that that sits on a scale imposition yeah because to a lot of children any in interruption to their time at forest school is like time away from what they really need or play you know from what they're really interested in so you might go Building a relationship with these trees is like so important that it's worth making person X frustrated for five minutes if it mm-hmm. means I can if it means we can go through this kind of ceremony. Or you might go, Do you know what? We'd probably get 80% of the impact if we did it in in 30 seconds. Or, yeah. you know, how can I? And we've all done that as teachers. You know, when you go, how do I do like uh, if we are on a holiday club and you've got some new kids and you suddenly realize you've actually got quite a lot of stuff you need to tell them, like where the loos are, what the boundaries are, whatever else. But you've got some people that have been there for ages and you have to go, how can I do this in the least intrusive way? How can I mm. get the information in the least intrusive way? And I think this book is not in any way trying to not be intrusive. Yeah, It's going, this information is paramount, no matter how slow the story is, no matter how, um, it's none of it's tedious it is all enjoyable listening but it's not there with any intention of like direct action or Mm -hmm. um you know influencing you quickly so that you make a change after chapter one you know
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: um but i would i genuinely would recommend it to all forest school leaders give it give yourself like three months to kind of put on a chapter every now and again Mm -hmm. and go through it and kind of go oh i've got a different you probably go i've got a different sort of thought about um maple leaves now or like oh kind of you know next week it might be oh, i've got a different viewpoint on lichen or something you know it'll drip feed and each of the chapters is important and change inducing i should say nice is there anything that you have gone i'm gonna like you're an interview guest now mm. is there anything that you've gone you didn't talk about or anything that i've talked to you about in person, that that you've gone, you didn't mention that thing.
2: Mm, probably, but not that I can remember right now. Um, how, so you talked about gathering moss as being like a book that you might want to read yeah. as a follow-up. Was there anything else that it kind of sparked something in you, and you went, "Oh, I really want to find out more about that."
1: Well, I'll tell you, um, it made me want to learn more a little bit more about wild food in the uk and not in a so we we've just done an episode about foraging and i think what i wanted to do was like something slightly different to foraging mm-hmm. in that so there's a story in this book that i'll paraphrase which is um the land of the maple trees and uh in the the, the when it was first made the sugar used to just drip off the leaves um, and so the people who lived in that nation, cause it's like the maple tree. So uh, I'm going off on tangents, but there's this idea that you could draw a map of any geographical location, by tree species, particularly mm. in America. So then you would have, aside from the state borders and the national borders, mm. the Maple Tree Nation and then That's the so beach, cool. the Beechwood Nation. And that those trees influence those communities more so than anything else. You know, the river nations, the, mm. because that is what influences community or has done for a long time. So saying that the people that live in the Maple Tree Nation, um, when it used to drip off the leaves, they. Uh, became lazy and they just used to lie down under the trees with their mouths open getting fat from the sugar um and so the oh i'm can i'm forgetting the name of the deities anyway the deity the deity or deities um then trapped it inside the trees and conden or, or and then you know s- separated it out among the sap so that the humans had to do some work which stopped them getting lazy, so it was like this thing of then every year, when it's maple season, the work that we have to put in reminds us mm. to not be lazy and to kind of so and I feel like there's the two levels of foraging, so there's this level of foraging that's like you can pick wild garlic and you can shove it straight in your face mm. hole, um, but that I was want me to last f- night
2: <laughs> oh.
1: wild garlic is good. Um, <laughs> but I want to find out about some more things that kind of require a bit of processing. So like we've mm-hmm. done some tree tapping. Mm-hmm. I want to find out there's other things that are kind of almost where I'm pulling my weight with the natural mm-hmm. food that's available.
2: I know what you mean. There's a, those processes that when you stop to think about it, you're like, whoa, my ancestors at some point worked out that if you like, collected this seed and then you dried it out and then you took the husks off and then you pounded it out and then you mixed it with water and then you know you know they added some water mm. and left it to sprout and then you did that but you kept it wet but not too wet and then you fermented it in a barrel it tasted real good and you're like what the heck is like how did that process yeah. like how was it discovered how and then yeah. yeah i like that idea of um yeah engaging with something a bit longer and, or something maybe- to,
1: and it's like doing something it's almost like a partnership of like the 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 plant has made the thing and i have made you know and i do the process and then yeah you know we've made something together it's like then it's a collaborative process
2: well would um yes i do know what you mean would making oak gall ink satisfy that uh because that is one of those processes where you're like bloody hell for hundreds of years that was ink that's how you made ink if you want to write something that's what you had to do um in this country and that's what we did and all those like amazing manuscripts with the illuminated letters they're all written with oak gall. like
1: okay will you teach me
2: well i've never done it so yes i will learn and then we'll do it
1: it makes me think about i saw a good tweet the other day that was like i can't believe the process people had to go with mushrooms like at some point people just had to go well brian's dead so i guess we don't need that one
2: (laughs) (laughs) well exactly (laughs) Yeah. You know,
1: I want to do something that is collaborative. I, get, I think that's one of the frameworks that changed. Is I have a real desire to do things collaboratively with the natural world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to learning more about that sort of stuff.
0: Support the podcast today by becoming a Patreon member at childrenoftheforest.com. Check out the podcast links for more details
1: you're gonna cool. try and talk to me about a book next time
0: well do you know what i I
2: don't think i am i'm gonna i'm gonna tell <gasps> everyone to read it right now um the book of trespass by Nick majobi uh
1: I'm just oh, sorry, I put now. you on the spot there No, no,
2: I'm glad you did because um, Nick Hayes, Nick Hayes, Nick Hayes is really bloody good and as I was reading it I was like, oh, this is and I was like, is this relevant for a school? Could there be a podcast in here? And as I was reading it I was like, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely and then I finished it and then I couldn't really remember the bits that were relevant for a school apart from like one kind of element. Um, so I'm just going to recommend it as if you are a person who works outside in the UK, because I think it is quite UK specific. Oh, definitely. Um, then give it a listen. It will probably, if you're anything like me, make you quite angry. And I think that's kind of the point because it went alongside the kind of campaign um, from him about... Like open access to land, so it's all about lo- um, land ownership in the UK, and the history of that. And um, actually, it does go be- it does go beyond the UK. A
1: lot it of goes- it's America-based. Because that- oh, well, yeah, it's that kind yeah, of idea that, that, our, that our law structure uh, was obviously taken with the settlers to America, and yeah, um, yeah.
2: yeah, and he- and it does go to. Um, camps in calais at one point as well right.
1: uh, but it's
2: really it's like brilliantly written it's amazing um and has got quite a lot of like old english law in it as in mm-hmm. l-o-r-e as well as l-a-w um, in terms of like yeah laws of access and um and enclosure and agriculture and loads of stuff that I'm kind of interested in from a social history point of view um, and talks about our relationship with the land having changed most uh, you know it it does talk about enclosures in I think they begin in the 1700s but then kind of 1800s is when the land was literally like mapped out delineated the commons Mm -hmm. it's all about the commons oh my god just read it it's so good Um, and uh, you know only a few hundred years ago we would have had access to common land and lots of us, especially in the lower socioeconomic brackets would have really relied on that. And we'd been gathering our firewood there and our food and partying there. And then he kind of describes how since that land was all carved up and hedged and um, owned by private people, um, how we kind of are searching for that same kind of fix by going out and doing foraging, by having festivals like he really goes to town on Wilderness Festival um, about how it's sort of like its ancestors as a festival, um, its ancestor was kind of like a free gathering of just loads of people on Mm. this common land having a massive knees up and it kind of got out of control and then the authorities got a bit scared, so they cancelled it. And now if you want to go to Wilderness Festival, which I think may be in the same place or nearby, you have to pay how many hundred pounds for a ticket and Mm. you'll probably bump into david cameron and all this kind of stuff um uh yeah it's really cool i bought one of his he was selling some prints um quite cheaply he's a artist um and one of them I, i bought a print and it says on it uh oh damn it what's it called it's like uh something about it's a crime to steal a goose but it's a bigger crime to steal the land from the goose or something i've I've massacred that i'll find it i'll find it anyway
1: well for people listening that last 10 minutes was gemma not telling me about a book she's absolutely not going to tell me about there you go (laughs) i'm not going to tell you about the book
2: here's 10 minutes
1: about the book 10 minutes
2: that was like two and a half minutes that's basically all i've got to say well there we go here we go who steals the common from the goose
1: No, i've lost it again okay well to save me a lot of editing yeah we'll leave it there stop there <laughs> right thanks guys Bye.
0: Bye. Bye. if you like this podcast and want to support more episodes you can donate through patreon visit patreon.com forward slash children of the forest to show your support for the forest school podcast